All right, we're going to go ahead and get started, and I'm going to pray. God, our Father, Lord, we are so grateful for your love to us. Lord, you're everything to us. You're high and lifted up. Indeed, you are the maker of all things, and we do praise you this day. We bow our heads and our hearts before you. We acknowledge your great power and your sovereignty. Indeed, you are king of the universe. And Lord, we do recognize your lordship, your authority, and even so, your great love and mercy to us, O God. You are so gracious and kind. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ, even buying us back from sin, redeeming us, O God, from the law, and making us your own. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives, that you're sanctifying us and making us holy and changing us so that we are like you. We thank you. Lord, our hearts are filled with gratitude. And this morning, as we approach this section of Bible text, I pray, Lord, that you would impress it upon our hearts. Lord, that it would be our treasure, our guide. Lord, that it would uphold us in the day of trouble. And God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, give us hearts to receive. We thank you so much for the privilege of being able to freely proclaim your word. And we ask again, Lord, that you would impress it upon our hearts. We thank you for your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. There you are. Okay, so we're back in our uh, text of Ephesians chapter 5, and um, so far we have gotten through verse 24, and of course here we're discussing what it means to be filled with the Spirit and what that looks like in the marriage relationship. And uh, so last week we were dealing with verses uh, 21 through verses 24. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, uh, through chapter 5, verse 33. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ." Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church." because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Amen? Okay, so 
for the benefit of the tape, I want to read my little quote on the board over there, which says, being a godly husband is not for wimps. And uh, basically what I mean by that is, being a godly husband takes a man. And so when I, when I use the word wimp there, I certainly mean that which is contrary to manliness. And uh, it takes courage to be a godly husband. It takes male characteristics, which God has given to every man. And uh, you'll see that this morning very clearly in our lesson as we go through the scripture. Um, And uh, I want to just say a few things. You might look at me and say, Sean, you're only 38 years old. Who are you to talk to us about marriage? And I want to answer that uh, this week, my wife, Maxine, and I had our 20th wedding anniversary. And so I have a little bit of experience and gaining more every day. And, uh, of course, if you know us, we, we have raised three kids. Our youngest is 15. Our oldest is 19. And so we've had a little bit of experience with parenting as well. Um, and so I'm not speaking from ignorance this morning, and uh, I don't mean to be arrogant in the things I say, but when we look at the text of Scripture today, you're going to find yourself as a husband being called to a life of perfection. And uh, so I, I want you to see that clearly in the Word of God, but, but understand that uh, I'm not just simply speaking these things uh, from arrogance, but... I'm in the fray of the battle just like you are. A couple of things I wanted to recommend were a couple of good books that might help your marriage a lot. The first one is by Jay Adams. It's called Christian Living in the Home. Christian Living in the Home by Jay Adams. This, uh, this is a great little book. It's, uh, it's actually a pretty short book, but with most of Jay Adams' stuff, it's right to the point. And this can really help you a lot. I recommend that you read this. Every husband and father should have a copy of this book. You really should. Uh, These these truths are imperative to to your family. Here's another really good one. This is by John MacArthur. It's called Different by Design. And this deals with uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and what the differences are and the roles that they play in marriage and in family. Okay? It's a really good book. Different by design. There's another one that I can't seem to find on my shelf by John Piper, and it's called What's the Difference? And it's actually a a real thin little book, but it's dealing also with biblical manhood and womanhood. And uh, that little book also deals with the role of the husband and the wife in marriage and in family and, and coming from the perspective of biblical manhood and womanhood. That, again, that little book is called What's the Difference by John Piper. And here's another one by a gentleman called Gary Thomas, and it's called Sacred Marriage. Sacred Marriage. And the subtitle is, What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And uh, this this book deals a lot with uh, the trials that you face in marriage and how God is using those really to perfect your character and and fashion you into the likeness of Christ. That's really the theme of this book. And there's a lot of other good books, but I just wanted to recommend these few. Daniel? I was just going to say, I've read a book by Luke Viola called uh, The Complete Husband. Mm -hmm. Or just Husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a good read for wives, too. But I'm I'm actually going to be recommending that one along with some others next week. So... There's a whole bunch of really good books on marriage, and, and uh, you really should be investing in your marriage in this way. You know, if you spend much time at all reading the newspaper or, or some other thing, let me tell you, it's okay to do those things, but don't, don't neglect your responsibilities to really know and understand the will of God in regard to your marriage and your family. Amen? Okay, so with that, we're going to review... And last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, which read this way, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so just in brief review, uh, looking at verse 21, there it says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And, uh, you know, here the scripture is laying out the idea of being subject or submission. And that we are to submit, therefore, to the proper authority, the proper authoritative structure that God has set up in the marriage relationship. Of course, God, Jesus Christ, is the Lord. Underneath him is the husband who is the head of the wife and the head of the family. The wife, therefore, institutes the authority of the husband with the children. And then, of course, later on in the the book... uh, When he gets into chapter 6, he's also going to deal with the relationship between the master and the slave. And uh, there, of course, he's also asking us to be subject to one another. But but in that submission, in that subjection, that we are uh, doing that out of reverence for Christ. And so he he sets up this submission and this authority structure. Uh, And, of course, he makes those points very clearly. Uh, For instance, like in verse uh, 20. I'm sorry, verse 23, where he says, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Okay, and he sets up that, that structure of authority. And then, of course, here in this section, calling wives to be subject to their husbands. But all of this subjection to authority, he says, should be done in the fear of Christ. And last week we talked about, really, that has to do with our motivation. What is our motivation for being subject to one another? And uh, I use the example of, of a wife complaining that her husband won't ever come along. <clears throat> and she says, I tried that submission thing and it just doesn't work. And, and my point was that that kind of a mentality in marriage really misses the mark because it's improperly motivated. It's selfish giving. It's saying, I'm going to be subject to my husband so that he'll be the man I want him to be. And really, that's a selfish motive. Paul calls us here to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, because that is his command to us. And and so that motivation is to be out of reverence for Christ. The motive is to obey Christ, to be obedient to him, so that if we do that, we'll hit the target every time. And we're not worried about whether or not it works. We're worried about whether or not we have obeyed the master. Amen? And then we leave the results up to Christ. We leave that on his plate. And he'll take care of that. Amen? And so uh, that deals with the proper motivations. And then in verse 22, he says, Wives, uh, be subject to your own husbands. And, of course, we, we looked at this, this word. You might have an NIV, and it says submit. In the NAS, it says, be subject. Uh, the word, the Greek word is hupatasso. And hupatasso is a military term, which speaks of rank. And the idea is to line up under the rank. In other words, to be subject to the proper authority. And, of course, we talked about that in great detail and talked about that's a characteristic of every Christian, that we are constantly called by God to submit to the proper authorities, whatever they may be, whether they be civil, whether they be spiritual, or whether they be in the home. And um, we are to, uh, she, she also is to respect her husband and to be submissive, if you will. And, of course, the term there is hupatasso, to line up under the authority of the husband. And then he talks about how she ought to do that or to what degree by saying that she does that as to the Lord. So that a wife is to be subject to her husband even as she would be to Christ. And if you will, this speaks of the degree of submission. So a wife might ask the question, well, I should submit to my husband, but to what degree should I submit to my husband? And here's the answer. In the same way that you would to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And, of course, we went through that in detail. And and the, the, the one exception we said was that a wife should never submit to her husband if he were calling her to violate the commandment of God if he were calling her to somehow do something sinful or violating her conscience, okay? And it would be at that point that she would obey God rather than men. Amen? And God forbid that should ever happen. 
surely it shouldn't happen with a Christian husband. Amen? A wife should never be put in that place where a husband is calling her to violate her conscience. Amen? And, and then also, he, he talks a little bit more about the degree of submission in saying, what is the scope of that submission for the wife? And if you will, that is in verse 24. He says, but as the church is subject to Christ, okay, just like the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So what is the scope of a wife's submission to her husband? In everything. So how many things is everything? Everything. everything. So that means in matters of practical matters in the home, in practical matters with the children, in practical matters with their education, in practical matters in life, in financial matters, the scope of the wife's submission to the husband is in everything. That's what the scripture says. Okay? Lest you think that everything is somehow short of everything. Okay? Because it's not. All right? And uh, so, again, we look at this commandment of God to the wife, and we say, Lord, how can we possibly do this? Right? And I want to remind you that the Christian life is a supernatural life that you cannot live within your own power. But God empowers you by the Holy Spirit to fulfill His commandments as He sanctifies you and makes you holy and forms you into the character of Christ. He is empowering you to fulfill His commandments. And you can do this. You can do this if you do it out of reverence for Christ and if you look to him for the strength and the power and the ability. And as you're going to see this morning, the husband has quite a calling. And, uh, you know, again, it may even be quite discouraging for many husbands after we go through this big, long list of things that he really has responsibility and obligation before God to do. But I want to remind you, that this is a supernatural life that can only be lived with supernatural power. If you try to do it in human strength, you will fail. And so remember that. God empowers us to do His will. He will not command us to do something we cannot do. Okay? So the review there of submission and authority in the fear of Christ, wives being subject to their husbands as to the Lord... And in everything. And so this morning we're going to take up at verse 25 and following. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And I want to, I want to preface this section of scripture by asking you a question. I'm going to be speaking very directly to the husbands this morning. But husbands, I ask you this question. How good has Christ been to you? How good has Christ been to you? And I want you to consider that as you consider what the Scripture calls us to here. Okay? And I want to suggest that to the same level and degree that Christ has been good to you, He has asked you to be good to your wife. And that's a high calling. And I want you to see that right here in the text of Scripture. If you will, that's a little bit of a background of of this little section of text. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 reads like this. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He goes on, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Okay, here he says directly to the husbands, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here is the husband's role in being subject to one another. Now, the husband finds himself being subject to God, okay? Because in that authoritative structure, of course, Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife, the, and, and the family. And so in this, the husband is subjecting himself to God out of 
the fear of Christ or the reverence of Christ and finding his role. And his role here, the scripture says, is to love his wife. In submitting to God, he is to love his wife with the same self-sacrificing love that Christ gave for the church. In this love, the wife would never be violated, but always encouraged, supported, nurtured, and protected. The husband should at all cost give of himself in order to meet his wife's needs, even if it means his life. What an example of selfless love we have in Christ. Truly, husbands have a noble and lofty goal. And we ask the question then, how should a husband love his wife? When the scripture says, husbands, love your wives, what does it say about how we ought to do that? And here it is right here in the text of scripture. Just as Christ loved the church. That's how a husband ought to love his wife. Just as Christ loved the church. I want to remind you of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. You remember that? There Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. You remember that? You might have an NIV there and it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, and live a life of love. As Christians, just... Generally speaking, as Christians, we're called to be imitators of God and to walk in his love, to live in his love, to behave with God's love. Right. But look what he says in verse two. He says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And so even in that Christian example where we are to be an imitator of God and we are to, to walk in love just as Christ loved, okay? Here he, he reverberates this again. He repeats it for the husband in the marriage role. And he says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. To love your wife just like Christ loves the church. Okay? Now I want you to understand that that is a mouthful. You know, I think we have a tendency to look at that and we just kind of read right by it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave him up for her, gave himself up for her. And we kind of look at that and we kind of read those words and we don't stop and we don't ponder and we don't give thought to what those words are really communicating. So that's what I want to do with you this morning. Okay? Let us consider, husbands and wives, how is it that Christ loved the church? When he says, just as Christ loved the church, what does he mean? What is he saying? What does Christ's love to the church look like? How is it fleshed out? What does it practically look like? What are the characteristics of the love of Christ toward his church? Those are the things that we as Christian husbands are to possess toward our wives. And all of this, husbands, is not so that she'll be a good wife. Or not so that she'll have sex with you when you want her to. Or not for any other selfishly motivated reason. We do all of these things. Why? Out of reverence for Christ who saved us from our sins and gave his own blood that we might be bought back from sin and death and because he has given us eternal life and he is our Lord and our Master and our King. Amen? Amen. Our motivation for loving our wives is all that Christ has done for us and all that he is to us. Amen? We do this out of the fear of Christ. And so, how is it that Christ loved the church? And so I want to present this to you this morning and hopefully show you in the scriptures a bit of how, how and what this love is and what it should look like and how it should flesh out. What should it look like in your home? What should it look like in your marriage relationship? What should it look like in your family? How does the love of Christ impact your life practically? And so I want to look at these characteristics of the love of Christ with, with you. 
And the first one I would say is that Christ's love is sacrificial. Christ's love is sacrificial. You see what it says right there in the text? Just as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. And of course that's referring to what? His death on the cross. Christ, when he gave himself up, he gave up his very life unto death. He was brutally murdered for the sake of the church, and that, friends, he did willingly. Are you with me? This is how Paul says husbands ought to love their wives. How? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. Christ was willing to give everything he had for the well-being of his bride, the church. He gave himself, the scripture says, even his very life he did not withhold from her. Here is an example of the degree to which a husband should love and care for his wife. So what? to what degree should you love your wife, husband? Even unto death. That's how. You ought to love your wife if it drives you to the grave. That's what the scripture says. Because that's how Christ loved his church. He gave himself up for her. He willingly went to the cross. He was willingly put to public shame. He was willing to leave the glory of heaven and come to this vile place. And be brutally murdered by evil men. That he might make her holy. And wash her clean. And reconcile her unto God. And give her well-being. Amen? That's how a husband ought to love his wife. Sacrificially. He ought to be willing to give himself. And it is to this degree that a husband should love his wife. A husband should be willing to die. For the protection and support of his wife. He ought to be willing to die for the protection and support of his wife. And his example is Christ. And there are some practical ways we could think about this. You know, I've heard tell of husbands who won't go out and earn bread. And I want to say that that is a lousy, wimpy failure on the part of a man. If he is able to work, he ought to work and support his wife. He ought to care for her. He ought to provide for her physical needs by going out and working with his hands, even if it kills him. Because that's the example of the sacrificial love of Christ that he's commanded to in the scriptures. Amen? And that's why I say, being a godly husband is not for wimps. It's for men who will get up and go out and work and do what needs to be done to earn the needs for the family. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so I would ask this question, husbands. Are you a sacrificial husband? Are you a sacrificial husband? Measure your love by this. Are you willing to die for the protection and the support of your wife? You should be. If you're a Christian and you love this word of God, like that spirit in your heart is crying out zealously for you to do, then you ought to be a self-sacrificing husband who's willing to sacrifice even his own well-being for the well-being of his wife. Amen? Can you see that example In Christ? Can you see how Christ was willing to give even his very life for the well being of his bride? Yes? Okay then. When it says, just as Christ also loved the church, that's what it means. We're to possess that same willingness and to that same degree that Christ loved his church. Amen? Also then, and therefore, Christ's love is gracious. Christ's love is gracious. And 
you know, when we think of the term grace, we talk particularly about the grace of God, right? We, we typically will define grace as unmerited favor, right? Have you heard that before? That the grace of God is unmerited favor. It's favor that, that, uh, that the sinner did not merit. In fact, on the contrary, right? The sinner merited the wrath of God, but instead, in Christ, God offers the sinner favor. Now consider, if that is the love of Christ towards sinful men and women, then what should that look like when the husband loves the wife, even as Christ also loved the church? The love of Christ is gracious. He grants favor to those who are undeserving. How much more your own wife? How much more your your one flesh and, and blood with you? That you should give her favor that she doesn't deserve. Amen? This is a high calling. Christ loves and gives regardless of merit. In fact, Christ gives to those who do not deserve it. Jesus gave his life in the midst of our rebellion. You might think about that the next time your wife is being unsubmissive. That the love of Christ is gracious and he doesn't love based on their merit. Christ doesn't love his bride based on her worthiness. Oh, that we would love so freely as our precious Christ. Amen? Jesus loves because Jesus is love. It's his character. It's his nature to love. Not because of the merit that one has earned. Amen? His love is gracious. He extends his love to those who do not deserve it. Husbands are to grant their wives honor. She is your partner, bone of your bone, the love of your life. Husbands are to grant their wives favor. Give them favor, whether they merit it or not. The scripture says in 1 Peter 3, 7, that we're to grant them what? Honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Amen? A husband is to favor his wife. He's to honor his wife, even as Christ favors and honors the church out of his gracious love. Amen? Give all that you have for her joy. Has not Jesus done this for you? And I want to ask you that question. Has not Christ given everything that he has for your joy? Yes, he gave himself. What more could he give when he stretched out his hands on the cross? Was there anything else that Christ had that he could have given? One other thing. He owns everything in the world, in the heavens and on earth. It's all his. And guess what? It's all yours. He held nothing back. But he gave you everything that he has. Amen? Even his very life, even his very blood. And this we did not deserve. The love of Christ is gracious. Listen to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus died when we were still sinners. He showed us his gracious love in the midst of our rebellion. He loved us first. Amen? How should that, what should that look like in your marriage, husbands? Listen, here's how it should look. You should love your wife first. So you can't be looking for her response because it's your responsibility to love her first. You know, you're in the midst of a, of a knockdown, drag out argument. Some married couples actually have those. Who's going to lay down the sword? 
Who, who's going to be the one that subjects himself to authority? And this is what I mean when I say you ought to love her first. You ought to be the one to put the sword down. You ought to be the one to humble yourself and wash her feet, even in the midst of her rebellion. Why? Because that's the example of the gracious love of Christ. Amen? You with me? Boy, it's awful quiet in here. It's awful quiet. And this this has very little to do with who's right, by the way. Very little to do with who's right. Listen, Jesus was right, and you were wrong. And he went to the cross. His disciples are scrapping over who's going to be greatest. And Jesus comes in with a basin and a towel and washes their dirty feet. You see, he was right and they were wrong. And he was serving them out of gracious love. Amen. That's how that ought to look in your marriage, husbands. That's what it ought to look like. According to the scriptures. Because here we're told to love just as Christ loved the church. Amen? You see that characteristic in the love of Christ? Do you see it? That his love is gracious? Your husband, you see that characteristic in Christ? Then also, the love of Christ is patient. The love of Christ is patient. You're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, right? And there it says, love is patient. Love is kind, right? Interesting, the first quality that Paul points out there about love is that it is patient. And I want you to consider this. Just how patient has Christ been with you? Husbands? We're still here. We're not toast. (laughs) Right? Just think how patient Christ is with us. Right? Now remember this verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What should your love towards your wife look like? It should be patient. It should be patient. You know what that means? Let me give you a definition. You can look it up in the dictionary. This is what it says. Suffering without complaint. That's what patience means. That's the definition in the English dictionary. Suffering without complaint. Okay? Now, consider what that looks like in your marriage. That a husband's love towards his wife is to be patient. It's to be long-suffering, right? That's why we have that other English word, long-suffering, and you see them used interchangeably, patience and long-suffering in the Bible. That's what it means, to suffer long. To suffer long, to be patient. The love of Christ, husbands, is patient. It's a patient love. Husbands should be patient with their wives, allowing them time for Christ to be formed in them. Oh, that we were as patient as Christ. His patience is endless for the objects of his love. His love is truly unfailing. You see, the love of Christ, it doesn't fail. It endures You get the idea? Long-suffering, endurance, patience. Think how Christ has been waiting for you, O man of God, to take on his character. And how so many times you've failed and he has suffered long with you and come to your aid and helped you again and again and again in spite of your failings. And encouraged you and lifted you up and strengthened you to once again try again. You see the patient love of Christ? That's what God's calling us to in marriage. That's how he wants us to love our wives. With his patient love. With his unfailing love. When a husband is impatient with his wife, his love fails. When a husband is impatient with his wife, his love fails. Husbands must be patient with their wives 
remembering the patience of Christ with them. And I would use another scripture from 1 Corinthians 13 to see this. Verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. That's what the scripture says. It's enduring. It's patient. Amen? And so I want to ask you this question, husbands. Are you a patient husband? Are you patient with your wife? You can do it with the strength that Christ gives. Amen? Then also, notice that the love of God is kind. The love of God is kind, right? Jesus is kind to the church with a benevolent disposition which always seeks the comfort and blessing and joy of his church. What is Christ after? What is it that he wants to give you? Why did he go to that cross? What was it that he was trying to provide? May I suggest that he wants you to live in comfort and in ease? He wants you to be totally free and at rest with your heart absolutely fulfilled? That's his goal. Consider what benevolent kindness is in the heart of Christ. That he would give everything that he has. That you might have well-being. This, Paul says, is the way a husband is to love his wife. That he is to give himself for her comfort and her joy and her fulfillment and her protection and her well-being. You see, that's what Christ did for his church. Consider the loving kindness of Christ. Consider the kind heart of Christ toward his church. How about when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see God speaking through the mouth of the prophet again and again and again, he says, oh, that my people would obey me, that it might go well with them, right? And what is he, what is he crying out for? He wants their well-being. He wants them to be happy and blessed and live in his blessing and in his comfort. And he says, look, if you'll, just, if you'll just follow me and obey me, he says, I'll take you into a land with houses you didn't build and grapevines you didn't plant. And he says, your clothes won't wear out and your cattle will have babies and your bellies will be full and your wine will overflow. Then you'll have bread on the table. You see the heart of God being expressed in that? What does he want for his church? He wants her to be full and happy and have all of her needs met and to lie down and rest in his presence. That's what he wants. So consider what that ought to look like in your marriage. What should that look like in your marriage, husband? Amen? We ought to be pursuing her joy. We ought to be pursuing her well-being. We ought to be pursuing her protection. We ought to be pursuing her ease. Amen? You see that? Do you see that in the example of Christ and his love toward his church? Amen. Praise the Lord. The love of Christ is kind. He seeks her highest good and her joy no matter the cost. Remember that Christ did it even unto death. That was the degree to which he was kind. Right? That was the degree to which Christ was kind to his church. Listen, husbands should speak kindly to their wives. Husbands should speak kindly to their wives. There should be kindness in your voice. 
course, we have no grumpy husbands in here, right? You with me? Kindness is something that kind of pervades our character, our, our being, you know? It's not just acts. It's about what's going on inside the heart. Do we have a kind, benevolent disposition toward our wife? And if we do, it's going to manifest itself. Out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. If there's a genuine kindness in your heart for your wife, then you ought to be speaking kindly to your wife. I don't know about you. I strive to speak kindly to my wife. You know why? Because it's contrary to my nature. You know what I want to do? I want to walk around. I want to be a grump. Okay? But I can't do that. Why? Because my Lord and my Master died for me and called me to love my wife and speak to her kindly. That's why. So i got to put the flesh to death. i got to put the old man to death. I can't be a wimp here. And you know what? Husbands who don't speak kindly to their wives are wimps. That's what they are. They're not men. They're wimps. And what we got to do is put the old man to death and let the new man live and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and let his kindness fill our heart so that it even comes out of our mouth. Amen? God help us. It's a high calling. I realize it's very difficult. But listen, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. How much more? Be kind to our wives. To speak kindly to our love, to our joy. You with me? I want to ask you this other question. I'm going to bring up one of those old King James words. You ready for this? Maybe I can even spell it. Chivalry. Oh, I knew I'd mess it up. Chivalry. Who knows what chivalry is? Anybody? Daniel, tell us what chivalry is. And it dealt with what specifically? Masculinity over femininity. Okay, masculinity over femininity, and and probably even a little beyond that. Joe, were you going to say something? There we go. (laughs) Chivalry means opening the car door for your wife. Now, why in the world would you do a thing like that? (laughs) To honor her. Wow, what a concept. Amazing. Amazing love that would walk around to the other side of the car and open the door handle and say, Here, my love, have a seat in my chariot. (laughs) You with me? Are you with me? I mean, can you see Christ... Washing his disciples' feet is an example of chivalry. I don't know about you, but I do. Not only that, it's beaming like a sunbeam. And that's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. It's a kind, benevolent love. Tanya. Okay. Amen. Amen. So it's an example. It's an example of the man saying, look, I cherish you. I adore you. You're special to me so much that I'm going to have this one little example of kindness. And, of course, opening the car door, guys, that's one little act, okay? What we're suggesting is, is that opening the car door should be in your heart. Amen. When you're at the dinner table, 
when when you're when you're getting up and it's 6:30 in the morning and you're rushing to get out the door to go to work or whenever and wherever opening the car door ought to be on your heart why because the kind love of Christ is in your heart for your wife that's why there was one other hand here where was it oh Greg All of these, is, I, I always come back to this, it's, it's, it's humility. I mean, it's, it's esteeming someone, your wife, above yourself. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh-huh. you got to be a man to open the car door for your wife. Wimps don't do that. You, <laughs> you did it once. Greg did it once. You go, baby. You go. We're working on two. We're working on two. <laughs> you know, guys, really, no, I, I don't mean to oversimplify or whatever, but listen, I want you to understand that the love of Christ is kind, and it manifests itself in acts of kindness. And in kind words and in a kind, benevolent disposition. You with me, Sharon? I was just going to say, I think another thing for chivalry would be the way that you treat your future wife when you're dating her. Mm-hmm. Is the Amen. chivalry. Amen. And a lot of times that just falls away afterwards. Amen. Yeah, uh, so if you didn't hear that, Sharon's talking about how, how you treat your wife when you're courting her. Right? Maybe some of you can remember back that far. <laughs> you can remember how you were treating your wife when you were courting her. Man, you didn't have a hair out of place. Right? You with me? You, you know, think about the things that you would say to her. Think about the things that you would say to her that would build her up. Like you might tell her that she was beautiful. Or that she was lovely. And that you just so appreciated her sweet spirit. And the kinds of things that she'd whisper in her ear. You with me? Why, why is that? Because when you're courting your wife, right? You, you're motivated, right? <laughs> and so what is that motivation? What is it doing in your behavior? What does it do to your behavior? It changes your behavior so that you're what? You have a very kind, benevolent disposition, right? Scott, you were going to say? Well, we, there are thousands of different examples we can use, but there's a real simple yardstick. Does she feel cherished? Amen. If she feels cherished, she's doing a pretty good job. If she doesn't, you're failing miserably. Amen. There is a measuring stick, and it is the wife. And that is the main point of the book, The Complete Husband, is that he, you know, he basically says, your wife... At least as I have read the portions I've read of it, it's got this theme. Jerry? I'd like to say that about being a Christian, we see this multifaceted thing because there's a lot of different bases to cover. You know, are we, are we giving? Are we evangelizing? Are we morally pure? And all these different aspects of being a Christian. But really the most important aspect of living out your Christianity is how you love your wife. You, you could be doing all those other things mm-hmm. and I think that they're just ashes at that point. Amen. Because the most spiritual thing that you could do is love your wife. Amen. You know how you frequently will hear, you know, we talk about Christian priorities, right? And we'll say, uh, your first priority as a Christian is what? God, right? And the next one is your family, and people will say family, right? What's the next one? The church. And the next one? Work, right? And here's what I would like to, I'd like to suggest. That if you're married and God is at the top of that hierarchy, then that means your wife is at the top of that hierarchy. Because you cannot say God has first place if your wife doesn't have first place. Are you with me? I'm not suggesting that you be idolatrous here. (laughs) I'm suggesting that the way that you show that Christ is first is by obeying his commandment to love your wife as he loved his church. 
and I agree with Jerry wholeheartedly. That is your first and your foremost priority as a man. It is to love that wife. And it is, it is to subject your life to the commandments of Christ so that it changes your character. And it directly manifests itself in the way you live with your one flesh partner. With that person who is closer to you than anybody else in all the world. Amen? Amen. Which we'll, we're going to talk about that in great detail here in the coming weeks. Uh, right behind you, Renee, there's somebody. What an honest confession. Um, I think that's very wise, Marietta. And and surely we wouldn't say that uh, the sole gauge for how well you do as a husband is the fleeting feelings of your emotional wife. (laughs) Right? But but could we not say in a proverbial sense, kind of like a proverb, that, that the wife really is a good measuring stick? for how well the husband is doing. Because let me tell you, if you as a husband love your wife like we're talking about here, I would like to suggest that she will be mature to the point where she's in subjection to the Holy Spirit and that this kind of love will have such a sanctifying effect on a wife that she will be a different woman. You with me? And, and so, uh, you know, this is a high and a holy calling. And, and yeah, that's, that's great wisdom. Renee, you were going to say something also? Or? Relationship between husband and wife is very important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. So that relationship with God is primary in the marriage, right? You have God in the center of the marriage, right? And and both roles in the marriage are there and subject to Christ, right? And through that, then, we have a proper relation to our spouse. Amen? Right. If you are fighting and scrapping and arguing with your husband, listen, you are in direct rebellion against God. And if, husband, you are treating your wife selfishly and meanly and grumpily and unkindly and not being gracious or meek or gentle or serving, listen, you are in direct rebellion against God. And you do that too long and you're going to find yourself under his hand of discipline. Amen? So God help us. God help us. This, this is a high and holy calling. Amen? I'm going to move on. We have a lot of comments here, but it's all good. Praise the Lord. Uh, so, I, w- I was on this thing of chivalry, and I was just trying to use chivalry as an example to show you that you could see that in the actions of Christ. So that you can see that he's got this kind, benevolent disposition towards his church. All right? I want to give you a suggestion as a husband to consider this. You might think I'm from another planet here. When you think about the way you treat your wife, consider this this thing, that the bride of Christ is a royal queen. In fact, she is the royal queen of all royal queens. 
Now, some of you probably have a better understanding of what a royal queen is than others. Okay? But I want you to know that there's a certain way that you treat a royal queen. Are you with me? And you can see that treatment and that behavior in the life of Christ, in his sacrificial, gracious, gentle love for his bride. And quite frankly, that ought to be the way we treat our wife. And, you know, I, I, I studied this text and taught through it several times. And it's had a profound impact on me over time. But something I realized, I don't know how long ago it was, and I don't really know how well I'm doing. My wife could probably tell you. But I have this, this thing where I kind of just try to put her up on this pedestal, if you will. And I try to treat her like a royal queen. And the, the thing is, is that if I'll just see her in that light, then I'll see her like Christ sees his church. And it gives me something to shoot for. You understand what I'm saying? It's like if you got angry and grumpy and spoke unkindly to your wife, you could just ask yourself a question. Would I ever speak like that to the queen? Would I, would I ever do that before the throne of her majesty? You know, in, in certain places and times, you'd lose your head for that. You with me? You kind of get what I'm saying? If you'll kind of put her in this place in your mind where Christ's bride, the church, really is in reality, then you'll have a standard for how she ought to be treated. You with me? I'm using the example of a royal queen. And I think it's a biblical example because that's who she is. She's the bride of the king. Amen? And quite frankly, yeah, I'm saying you ought to treat your wife like a royal queen. Because I think that's a biblical example. Because that's who Christ's bride is. And you could see that he would stop at nothing to love her and to treat her with kindness and benevolence and to serve her and to give her everything that he had and to seek after her comfort and her ease and her well-being. I mean, think about what a rich king does for the woman he's going to marry. Right? Honey, let's build you a big white house on the hill. Right? Let's get you a nice, soft, plush, comfy couch to sit on. You with me? He's after her well-being. He's after her ease. He's after her fulfillment. He's after her joy. Right? You, you had similar desires back when you were courting your wife, remember? <laughs> you with me? Joe. He didn't get it. I don't think he got it, honey. He he didn't get it, sugar. You know, guys, you need to really consider practically the way that you treat your wife. here in this scripture something much more than a few words that say love your wife just as Christ loved the church and just keep reading right on by that because we're not even halfway through this thing and even if I get through all of this it won't begin to describe what the love of Christ is like for his church are you with me and um, next week we're going to we're going to look at some more of these characteristics of divine love And I'm going to challenge you again. 
that this is what your marriage ought to look like. And this is, this is what the husband is called to. And I, I want to encourage you that this kind of practice in your marriage will definitely have a tremendous sanctifying effect on your wife so that she's made holy and so that she will be in all of her glory and that she will fall into that rightful place that you so desperately want her to be. You know, you want your wife to be submissive? Why don't you be a husband worthy of submitting to? You with me? And that's not easy to do. You'll definitely have to do it in the strength of Christ or it won't happen. Amen? Okay. Shout, you have a comment, Daniel? Yeah, I, I think one, uh, we kind of, you, you mentioned it, but I don't know if we ever put the word to it. In one way that, that men should love their wives is the word, uh, that from my mind, is continuous. In that um, we need to continuously communicate love for our wives, not this, well, I told you when we got married. Mm-hmm. I loved you back then, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, when, we consider, when we consider the Word of God, how often throughout the Word, uh, it says that He loves us, mm-hmm. or, you know, we are the apple of His eye, or something like that. There, there is a, just a continual communication, and, and, and I think husbands in general are not particularly good at... Um, at, at making that effort to communicate on a, on a very regular basis mm-hmm. uh, love and appreciation for their wives. Mm-hmm. Amen. Our, lo- our love needs to be continuous. Okay, last one here, Jerry. This is true spirituality. I mean, when you boil it down, this is true spirituality. And, and I know that when I've been mad at my wife or not loving mm-hmm. her, the way that I should, because I know what I'm supposed to do, okay? I don't even waste my time trying to uh, talk to God, because I know that He is not going to listen to me if I'm not loving my wife the way that I'm supposed to love her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and Peter said that, you know. Yes, he did. Loving your wife, you know, your prayers prayers are going to end Bouncing off the ceiling. Right. So I know that if I'm not loving my wife, I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't go to the Lord in prayer because I'm not going to waste his time because I know I have a problem. Mm-hmm. And the ball is squarely in my court. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, this is true spirituality. Amen. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, and really I think what you're saying is the first step is repentance. Yeah. Right? And then in that repentance... We seek our strength from Christ to do what we need to do. Amen? Shall we pray? God, our Father, we are so thankful for these high and holy words. God, make them our treasure. Make them our goal. Make them our guide. May we ever and continually be striving as husbands, Christian husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved his church. Lord, give us strength. Give us wisdom and insight, please, O Father God. And help us, Lord, to love our precious wives, even as you have loved your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.